Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. We locked up in 1971, and then we had to... I remember having to go back to Detroit, put a show together, and then we were the first act to appear on Soul Train. The brand new show, Don Cornelius was starting up, Soul Train. And on your first episode? Very first one. Wow. With, uh, who was on that show with us last night? And I want to say Eddie Kendricks. And one more guy that I keep forgetting. <laughs> uh, but... He was on the show too. So that was the, so when we did the Soul Train Cruise, uh, you know, we reunited later and did the Soul Train Cruise. Uh, that's what they talked about all the time on the cruise that, you know, every time we showed up or did a, uh, a show or anything, it was, and they would blast it throughout the, the uh, monitors on the ship while we were on there for seven days. And they would say, Honeycomb, first artist ever to perform on Soul Train. So that was that was a big thing. Wow. What was it exciting for you to to be seen on TV and and you know be heard on the radio and you know how are you feeling about all that? Well, I mean, I love TV cuz I'm more uh, visual than than audio, you know. I'm even to this day I'm like I'm way more visual and when I uh, got on Soul Train, they said to me, you can't wear that. What, what wardrobe that I had on the other two girls were dressed, you know, moderately. And I had this plunging neckline <laughs> all the way down to the navel that, you know, uh, but uh, it was, so it was kind of provocative. And so I told Don Cornelius, I don't have, I don't, you have changed clothes. I don't have anything else. So they had to let me go on with that, but they weren't happy. <laughs> wow, so you set a precedent in more ways than one on that first episode. You know, you know, <laughs> amen. Um, I don't remember getting a lot of close-ups because I think that they didn't want to zoom in on that, you know, 
I mean, it wasn't great big cleavage or anything like that, but I think it was just the, the look that was, does she have on any, anything on under that? You know, <laughs> but I mean, it worked. It, you know, I, I, I actually, uh, if I had that dress, I'm, I still, I have some things that are very much like that to this day. So that was 71, it was at 50 years ago. Mm. So I guess I was a little ahead of my time there. <laughs> And Want Ads has uh, Ray Parker Jr. is playing that guitar part. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 16-year-old yeah. uh, genius young guy. And, I mean, we had him on That's My Story, my podcast, uh, our podcast. And he said that he stayed home every day waiting for the phone to ring so that he could uh, go play, you know, do a session for Hot Wax and Invictus and all the acts over there, in particular Honeycomb. And uh, he said, eventually, the guitarist couldn't show. And I got that call. I think it was from McKinley Jackson. He was with politicians, but he was also the um, guy that put the, the uh, studio bands together. And after they heard him that one time on Honeycomb, I believe he just, he stayed and played on everything after that. But can you imagine a 16-year-old uh, phenom was what he was. Yeah, unbelievable. A lot of people aren't aware of, you know, what he did at such a young age, you know, playing on You Got the Love by Rufus and so much great stuff when he was a teenager. Um, I, I tell everybody, guess who's on our record? <laughs> you know, and Juan Ads had that, you know, I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but it was sort of like a, uh, just a really, that really catchy, soulful, pop sound that also was funky you know it had like a funk quality to it that a lot of the earlier Motown stuff didn't really have right and you know I felt like it kind of maybe started a little bit with like some of the Jackson 5 stuff you know that came out and just real bouncy making you feel good and just right um, like Mr. Big stuff that same year right kind of like in that right. vibe so even the lyrics the first lyrics they tell me were um, I want to put it in the one ads I got some love for sale and so they uh, really thought outside the box and then they reined it in a little bit and said, you know, no, we better put it in one ads. I need somebody new. <laughs> you saved that version for the concerts, yeah. <laughs> that would have been cute. I got some love to say. Yeah. Whew, okay. <laughs> uh, who, who did you start going out on the road with once you hit it, you know, uh, like what other acts? I just remember uh, being hooked up at the Apollo with George Clinton. And um, uh, that was great to do three shows and then four on the weekends. <laughs> and uh, George is a Leo. And so he and I bonded and he would all come up, come up to my room and my dressing room and it was always full of smoke, you know, and, I, and I'd sit on the floor and just listen to him tell stories. That's what he liked to do. And so uh, I remember going out with George Clinton, that was wonderful, and his parliament, Funkadelics, and um, the uh, Five Stair Steps. Is it seven or five? Five. Five, okay. Five Stair Steps and... Um, we actually did um, a show, I want to say, with the Glass House, Frida Payne, uh, everybody that was on the labels. And I want to say that might have been in Detroit. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. But 
Um, yeah, so we pretty much toured by ourselves and not really a full package, you know, uh, of this one and that one and the other one. Uh, but we did do, we did tour with, well, we did a show with The Temptations. I remember that. Uh, I think that was up north, San Francisco or Oakland. And um, uh, some other artists, you know, the names escape me right now, but. Well, George Clinton, I'm guessing because Parliament at that time was on Invictus. Yes. So sort of like a label mate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But that is an interesting pairing, you know, Honeycomb and like a Parliament or Funkadelic. It I know, like right? Kind of like uh, the, the, I think it was Jimi Hendrix and the Monkees were together at one time. What? <laughs> or the Beastie what? Boys and Madonna. Oh, wow. Yeah. What about that? I, I, uh, I believe that George inspired a song for Honeycomb. And it was either um, When Will It End? or um, one of the other ones. I can't remember, but I mean, I think it sort of sounds a little Parliament Funkadelic-ish. I don't know which one that is. I'd be curious to know actually which when, one it was. When will it end? When will it end? I'll have to listen to that, thinking of that. Mm -hmm. um, and Stick Up, which you mentioned, also hit number one on R&B. Yeah. So you kind of back-to-back -back number ones. And yeah. And, and in a way, I don't think I ever thought that that would go number one. I liked them, but I didn't think that it would make the kind of noise that it did. And so we're forever grateful. I, I believe Greg General and Angelo uh, or Ronald Dunbar, one of, they took the same template and they said, well, one ads was a smash. Let's just follow that and follow it up with uh, stick up. And people tell me that you can sing stick up to one ads. <laughs> So, yeah, um, they mix together well. I'll I'll try that one day. <laughs> and was one ads on two of your albums, two Honeycomb albums? Was it? It looked like I was looking at the records, and it looked yeah, like the, it was on two of those them. kind of stats. I don't know, but I I rely on the people uh, that are members of the official Honeycomb fan page on Facebook. I rely on them to tell me all uh, stats and. How you know how many years to the day that this happened, and uh, you know we celebrated a 50-year anniversary recently with one ads, and um, but they, but sometimes it it uh, escapes my mind that it was in March of '71 or you know August of '71 or whatever it was, and they come right on in. They know they know everything, especially my uh, European. Uh, kids you know i say kids but you know yeah the 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 real hardcore fans yeah my hardcores i always go well uh you know where where am i where am i a hard that's what i uh, say where are my hardcore um musicologists i need some help when, when did this happen and at least three of them will know the answer that's great mm -hmm. <laughs> um like the uh, honeycone historians Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, no, I had just looking at the records, it looked to me like one ads was on two of the albums, which would be an unusual thing. But I was thinking because it was so popular that actually got stuck on two of them. Um, and one monkey don't stop no show number, uh, also went top five. Um, Day I found myself went to number eight. So I mean, you guys had 
four or five straight like huge hits insane huh? yeah <laughs> I mean, I think Don Cornelius asked us, uh, how did how did you how did you do that? What you know, what do you attribute your success to? And um, I think Edna said something like, um, "Well, it's probably we have good, great songwriters." And then maybe Carolyn said, "Well, it's because we have a great lead singer." And then Don Cornelius gave me the mic, and I said. Hey, it's just the honeycomb's time. <laughs> he probably wanted to slap me. <laughs> we don't need to ana analyze this. This is what it is. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I saw myself saying it and I said, oh my God, did I say that on national television? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Wow. Oh. So Ron Dunbar, you mentioned, did you, Get to know him much at all because i know he also later ended up working some with george clinton and i've seen you his name a lot but I, yeah. don't, I don't know much about him somewhat somewhat but uh i believe that he was better uh acquainted and friends with uh edna and uh we saw him at the studio or at least i did or maybe in passing sometime but you know he was incredible talent uh, as well as the engineer lawrence horn uh, although I did get pissed when he would mix our vocals down too too soft, you know, our background vocals. <laughs> I would say, what in the hell? I can barely hear us, you know, but I guess they knew what they were doing because, um, uh, but back to Ronald Dunbar. Yeah, um, I just remember that he was a strong force, but I didn't get to know him that well. Yeah, and I think he uh, passed away a year or two ago. He did, um, didn't yeah. he? He did. Yeah. Um, yes. Can you share with us, Shelley, maybe one or two uh, particularly memorable times when the group was out on the road or maybe doing um, a promotional thing or something that just really is in your memory? Well, more than that, uh, we had gotten into the uh, health food sort of seen with uh, being careful what we ate. And I noticed, I know that every place we went, every country, wherever we were, we would bring, a lot of times we'd bring our own food and our own condiments. And so that became kind of, kind of like a joke. We'd be sitting in the restaurant and they'd try to come up and, and give us, and we just start whipping stuff out of our purses, all of us. And um, uh, that, I remember more than you know anything. All the all the touring and the stuff was where I remember uh, performing for the troops in Germany, and they were just so gracious and um, so endearing and just happy for any entertainment and just just a wonderful wonderful crowd um, and just certain things you know stand out to me like that. And did you get to meet anyone that was sort of like a, a thrill, like, I don't know, like an Aretha or anybody that, you know, you're just like, wow. As a honeycomb, I don't think so. Um, all I know is we were working, always working. I remember I was very tired a lot um, because we squeezed a lot into those years we were together. And um, 
I was toward the end, I was like, boy, this, this could wear a person down. I think that I need to just start thinking of a better way to do this. I was exhausted all the time toward the end. You know, they were just working, working it because they knew that we had a window and we just had to get in there, you know, you know, get in where you can fit in. And that's what we were doing. We were working everywhere. Uh, and finally, Carolyn got so very tired that she announced one day that she was just not happy anymore. You know, too, too much uh, overboard uh, touring, not enough royalties, you know, no one was really getting paid. We were always, it seemed like we were always in debt. At least that, that's what they were telling us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you girls, you know, but you owe us for the studio time. You you owe us. You owe us for the hotels. And you owe us, you know, for all the food and, and, and the, the wardrobe and the choreography. And so we were always in debt. And so uh, Carolyn just didn't see a way out of it. And she announced that she was quitting. And so... Was that as as hot wax and and the company was having some some troubles or was yes. it? Yes, yes, they were. I mean, I believe that they were slowly they were leaking, um, and so it was probably hard to maintain all those acts and um, uh, you know who knows what goes on within companies and who who needs to get paid and who needs what. You know, I know. Uh, Edward and, and Brian probably can speak better on that. But I mean, in the Wikipedia, it states that um, the major labels that were backing or funding us dropped off. And whoever that was, you know, um, not sure if that was Buddha or whoever that was at the time. But um, it just became too hard for them to continue. So we broke up, they broke up, and it didn't seem likely that uh, Honeycomb was going to be be able to keep it together to go to another label. So Edna was like, "Well, hey, I'm the lead singer, so I can I can I can still sing." So she and Greg went on, and she uh, had a great success and a great career as a lead, as, you know, solo artist without Honeycomb. That last album, though, I think you know. It didn't do as well to a large extent because of what was going on internally, I think, because sure. there were some solid songs still on there. I mean, Ace in the Hole is really catchy. I don't know if you remember it's that funny one. funny you should mention that. We, uh, you know, our, the new Honeycomb, we call them the Honeycomb Angels, uh, we put Ace in the Hole back in the show just because you're right. It's a great song, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it sounds very, it's like uh, Don't Count Your Chickens. Uh, people seem to like that one a lot. Um, there, these they remind me of that kind of that Motown kind of Jackson Five kind of groove, um, and so both of those songs are back in the show now. We didn't we didn't do those show uh, in the regular show. I don't know if you recall the track uh, "Sitting on a Time Bomb," waiting yeah. for her to cut. That was uh, to me was like very sort of staple singer ish. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, that one with When Will It End, those were the two that are v- just very edgy and very different. And I, I get them confused sometimes. And I think that it was George Clinton that may have wrote either it was Time Bomb or uh, When Will It End. But they're, they're both, they both have that same uh, kind of very different flair for us. And so 
if you uh, you know listen to it later, you'll you may be able to hear which one you think he was involved with. Yeah, I will do that. Uh, okay. Time bomb, especially, I know, uh, made me think of you know like a Mavis Staples kind of vibe. Um, and that's back, that's back that's in our show too. Okay. Wow, that's going to be a killer show. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Shelly, what uh, path did, did you take? I mean, I know that you eventually, you know, uh, connected with Verdeen. That, you know, how, wh what path did you take professionally? And then how did that meeting happen? Um, when you say after, are we talking post-Honeycomb now? Post-Honeycomb, yeah. Post-Honeycomb. Um, Post-Honeycomb, I was approached by Ralph Johnson of, Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's the original drummer and one of the principals now, and almost a founding member. Uh, not quite, but you know, he's he, he's still one of the principals uh, of the three. And uh, he asked to produce some stuff on me. I hadn't met Verdine, uh, but then we did like three songs. He and his his uh, partner Douglas Gibb, who's a, you know great great uh, musician. And um, I would just remember sitting in the studio watching all of Earth, Wind, and Fire pass by me. Uh, they were going to be the musicians. You know, everybody did everything together back in the day. You sang, they played. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just remember going to the phone. I said, oh, my God, guess who's on my session? And they said, who, Maurice White? Yeah, Maurice is here. No, not him. And they said, who is it? Verdine White is on my session. You believe this? The greatest bass player in the world. And... Um, uh, after that, I didn't see Verdine anymore for about six months, and then I saw him at a car wash, and he he, he said, "You, you, you, you're that girl uh, <laughs> that I played on that session." I said, "Right." I said, "Did you ever hear the the uh, the songs?" And he said, "No." So he sat in my car and I played him the songs, and eventually he just said, "Look, why don't I work with you and let's do some stuff together?" Which we did. Nothing really happened with the uh, that you know with the original stuff but we started working together and we did set you know several projects i did a tv show uh that i was the star of that he did the music for he and ali willis and so that was called hot city hot city disco and uh, so after that we just we kept working together and he eventually said i have a better idea why don't i sign you to me <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh, that was 40 years ago, and we've been together ever since. And in the, in the interim, uh, I had a management company, and we would manage, uh, we, had, we had rappers, actresses, some sports figures, um, not Verdine and I, that was another girl and myself. And um, I went to work for Eddie Murphy for a, a while. I, was, um, I worked on Coming to America, the TV series. I worked with Tommy Davidson, who I got sort of got hired over there. And um, I got put another girls group together um, called Strictly Business. And uh, we were signed to Columbia, but that didn't really pan out. It didn't go anywhere. Um, and eventually, uh, I hooked back up with Edna and we started doing some some uh, dates with her daughter, Melody Perry, and we did like maybe five dates, and then we did that Soul Train Cruise, and that was fun, and I want to say, was that 2014? Yeah. Okay, 
Okay. And that was great. And then uh, after that, I think I met up with the, um, the drummer of Earth, Wind and Fire. He had a wife named Kathy Merrick and she was part of the uh, Shades of Lace and she was sang with the, the Sounds of the Supremes. And I said to her one day, wow, we should, we should put a group together. And so we did, and she got, she found uh, Wendy Smith-Brunet, who was an ex-Raylette and so many other things. And she sang, she sang everywhere all over the sun. She was the first um, African-American woman to sing with the Glenn Miller Orchestra, legendary Glenn, and they traveled and toured all over the world. And so I'm just happy to say that, that uh, they're the two honey, we call them honeycomb angels. And we're together now and we hope to do some things in the future. Wow, that's a, a fast uh, look at 40 years. All <laughs> right. Um, hey, look, your show is, is only an hour or so. We have to sit it all in here. <laughs> yeah, well, I still I want to ask you, um, do you remember how you and Ralph Johnson met, though, how he met you? I bring... met Douglas Gibb first. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think, if you put a gun to my head, I can't remember how, but uh, in our travels, we met and he said, my partner is Ralph Johnson. And I said, oh, great. Let's do some things together. That's how I met Ralph. It was through Douglas Gibb. Do you remember about what year you first connected with them? It had to be... 70, I want to say four, five. So really just as Earth, Wind and Fire started elevating. Yeah. 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 And then uh, Mary uh, Wilson at that time uh, was doing the Supremes and she asked me to, to join. And um, I declined actually, because I just didn't want to be in another girls group like that, you know. Uh, I, I could just see problems down the line. <laughs> so um, I declined, but uh, I wished her well. And she eventually went and got Sherry Payne from the Glass House, my label mate. And so Sherry joined the Supremes. You know, we all know, of course, Verdine is a monster on bass and a legend. Um, but is there something you could share with viewers uh, about, you know, what he's like just as a character or a person? Yes, yes, of course. Um, Verdine is classically trained. So around the house, he listens to a lot of classical music. We, we have a joke, sometimes we'll, we'll take the same car, you know, if it's in the front and I'll get in the car and it's all classical music and I'll switch it uh, to either uh, rap or R&B or whatever's, you know, Pandora. And he gets back in the car and switches it back to classical. And then I get back in the switch. <laughs> and it, it, it's just a big joke because we know what we're going to hear when we get in that car. But Verdine is, you know, he's a real maniac on stage. People, of course, used to ask me, is your husband on drugs? And, uh, you know, he just, he just loves performing. But at home, he listens to... Um, NPR talk radio. Um, he used to do be a CNN guy, and now he's BBC because it's you know because they show everything. It's, you gotta watch BBC. They show beheadings and everything. <laughs> it's quite an endorsement, right? 
<laughs> and he's just very mild mannered. He's a gentleman. He still opens doors. He takes out the trash. Uh, he walks the dog. Uh, he's nothing like what you would think. Uh, of course, he does, you know, love shopping. And that's the best part about being married to him. You never have to say, you know, you don't have to deal with a husband who's, <sighs> you know, he's like, hey, try this on over here. This looks really cool, you know. <laughs> and uh, he loves, you know, he's the only husband I know that if you run out of some kind of makeup or mascara, you know, he'll have something comparable that you might be able to borrow. You know, not eyelashes, but you know, everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he, he's a joy to live with. He is um, uh, the best pandemic partner because, uh, and the, you know, during when it was really bad, we would just say, okay, look, we're going to, we're going to have a schedule here. We're going to have movie night, uh, you know, because you can't go out. So, you know, <laughs> you know we're going to have the back porch is going to be uh, Chez Michel, where we have dinner. Upstairs porch is going to be Saint-Tropez, where we take in some sun. <laughs> and so he's just, you know, he's, he's uh, very easygoing. He's very easy uh, to live with. And we were listening to music, I want to say, because I would say, look, if we're stuck here, we're going to do what Clive Davis does. He listens to all kind of music, every music, just to stay on top of his music game. And so I would see what artists are trending. It didn't matter if it was hip hop, um, you know, uh, pop, RB, reggae, whatever. I said, we're going to listen to these artists and make notes as to who they are. And lo and behold, these same artists came up <laughs> like... Um, they just did a song, right? They just did um, a remake um, uh, that they performed on CNN. And oh my God, the name of, of, of uh, Lucky, Lucky Day, Lucky Day. They just did a, a song, Can't Hide Love. Well, it was a you know reimagined version of Can't Hide Love. And so uh, Lucky Day was one of the artists that we were listening to during you know, when the pandemic was just, you know, it was really rough and we weren't going outside. I said, see, now you know who Lucky Day is because we did our homework <laughs> back then. So that's what kind of guy he is. He, he does love music, um, but he's not what you would think he is just by looking at him on stage. He's not hyper. He, go, he works out. He does yoga. He meditates every day. Um, he loves the dogs. Um, just, just a real family kind of guy. That's all I can say about him. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. His his persona is so high energy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, um, right? If I if I heard it once, I'd hear it a hundred times. You know, what what drug is he on? <laughs> nobody nobody can move for two hours without stopping. Even on the slow songs, he's, you know. <laughs> What, what's your favorite one or two Earth, Wind & Fire song? September. We're, we put that in the show. <laughs> we put that in our show. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he played bass on um, You Got the Best of My Love, which, uh, which is uh, Alan McCage. Yeah. And he played bass on that, and that's another one of my all-time favorites. And um, I, guess, I guess the only other song that Earth, Wind, and Fire that I do like. It's a song that uh, is called Turn It Into Something Good. 
and you know it may not have gotten the recognition or airplay but it's just so uplifting and such a cool song you have to try to listen to that when you can okay turn it into something good yeah it sounds like a great message so. yes yes yeah. and i like let's move but you know that's that, that's a whole nother story. I'll have to come back on and tell you how Let's Groove became a hit. <laughs> All right, that's a good hook. Yeah, <laughs> get me back on here. <laughs> uh, can, can, uh, did you get to spend much time with Eddie Murphy in that job or not? Yeah, I was on the Paramount Pictures lot every day, every single day. And we were in the DeMille building. And um, I was hiring all Eddie's secretaries and all his assistants. And I came in just as a, um, like a hitman, just to do a little of this. And I wasn't supposed to stay, but I got hired on to stay. And after that, my job increased more and more responsibility down to the fact that his uh, manager at the time, Bob Wax, uh, he, had a, he had a bet with Bob Wax that one of his movies would not uh, be a hit. And the manager, just they just made a bet and when eddie lost the bet because it was a hit i believe it was either golden child or one of those um uh you know movies with uh beverly hills cop movie or one of those and to the point that he came and said shelly i owe bob and i want to get him a rolls royce and uh, I want you to make the arrangements. Well, I had one at the time. So I think he trusted me that I would be able to do a good job. And so I went to my, my friend, Garthwaite Rolls-Royce in Beverly Hills. And I said, you guys gotta, gotta, you know, it's a surprise. You gotta deliver a white Rolls-Royce to Paramount Pictures lot and um, sneak it on here and I'll get you, you know, in the gate. And so uh, I was happy to be able to do that because Bob Wax almost fainted. Uh, because Eddie lost the bet, so that was his way of, uh, you know, paying it forward. <laughs> wow, that makes me think of, uh, it's quite a comparison to Trading Places. I don't know if you remember in that movie. Eddie no, Murphy I love movie. Trading Places. They just bet a dollar. Remember those no, millionaires? They right, a dollar. Right. Mortimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rolls Royce is uh, real stakes. That, that, was, that, was, uh, that was a great gesture on his part. So is he funny at all? off screen off stage uh he is funny but um he's really uh very serious because he wants the best uh you know he wants the best thing to happen for whatever movie he's in he didn't really want to deal with tommy davidson and so i think you know how an up-and-coming comic is coming along and you think maybe he's going to replace you that's like uh, how richard Pryor kind of looked at a murphy exactly yeah so you're, you're always afraid of that next guy so tommy used to come up and i would say tommy go do a, a workshop and i'm going to get everybody to, to go down and watch you and so tommy did and i made the whole department go and just hooked the whole thing up and they went and saw um, uh tommy and they saw that he was he was good he was great he got the crowd going and i think eddie's fears lessened after a while and so they, they put him in a sitcom that never got picked up uh, called Coming to America, the TV series. But it is on YouTube, the pilot. Um, and he just, he went on to do better things after that. 
Tommy did. In Living Color, this, that, the other. That was the first one that saw In Living Color, by the way. He had, he had these crazy tapes that he would show me. He said, look, I'm working on a workshop. Tell me what you think of this. And it was Keenan, it was everybody. And I was looking, I say, wow, that stuff is really funny. Can you get away with, with the saying all that? And, you know, two snaps up and you gaze people. On Fox, yeah. <laughs> Can you get away with that on TV? And, and it was the beginning of In Living Color. Well, who knew? And later on, uh, it blew up, but I saw it first. <laughs> and now they've uh, made the Coming to America Part 2 also. Yes. Maybe. Did you yeah. see it? I haven't seen it. Oh, I do like it. A lot of people tried to trash it that it wasn't this, that, or the other. But I mean, there were so many superstars in it. You just had to be happy to be able to see all the old faces again. Yeah. Should I go see it? Because I had heard it was so-so, so I kind of... Just, you know, you got to see it. It's for posterity. Yeah. <laughs> you got to watch it. It's obligatory, right? Yeah. And, and it is funny <laughs> in spots. It is. You know, his friend Clint Smith, all the old guys, uh, you know, it's like it's like the Blues Brothers. You know, skip the band back together. Yeah. <laughs> um, and did you get to, I'm assuming you spent some time with Maurice White? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Is there anything you could share with us about Maurice? Maurice was such a, he was such a genius. I mean, can you imagine one day you get, uh, you, you're not playing drums anymore uh, and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to put a band together and I'm going to start singing. You know, And I mean, uh, Ramsey Lewis is a dear friend of ours forever. And if you listen to him tell the story, which he, uh, I forgot to make him tell it on when we had him on that on my podcast, that's my story. I forgot. Uh, but Ramsey told the story that Maurice came to him one day and said, and it's the truth. He said, uh, Ramsey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to put my own band together now. I don't want to be a drummer anymore. I want to fuse all sorts of uh, music you know, rock, African, pop, and and, uh, and we're going to come out of spaceships, and we're going to wear flashy clothes, and we're going to uh, sing everything under the sun. And Ramsey said, I looked at him and said, boy, go home and take two aspirin and go lay down. <laughs> and then he said, but I'll be damned if he didn't make good on everything he said he was going to do. And then he came back and did a song with Ramsey and got him his biggest smash ever, Sun Goddess. He came and got Ramsey and said, I'm, I'm coming to visit you. I got a song in mind. But it wasn't that song. It was the flip side. It was another song called Hot Dog It. And Hot Dog It uh, was a flop. But the DJs flipped it over and they started playing Sun Goddess and it went through the roof. So can you imagine here? Your, your drummer, your band mate comes back after leaving you and starting his own thing and gives you the biggest record you've had in your life. Yeah. Maurice was something, I'm telling you. Uh, he could just dream some stuff and there it was right in front of you, right? As soon as he thought of it, and I mean, Verdine was his cheerleader. And I mean, can you imagine, I'm gonna bring my 18 year old brother out here Verdine was already going to, he was scheduled to go to um, uh, 
the Philharmonic, I mean, he was like already doing nightclubs and he was uh, doing classical music at the academy. And so Maurice called him and said, hey man, come on out here. He was 18. And so he hung the phone up and said, I'll be right there. And so uh, Renee's mother had a nervous breakdown. Were, You're gonna follow your older brother out there? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> So, because you know, LA was dr sex, drugs, and rock and roll to her. So she didn't want to lose, you know, uh, lose him to that. But anyway, it worked out fine. He came out here and and uh, they moved, you know, they moved in together. And he said the first day here, they went to a party, Jimi Hendrix party. And he said, Oh my God, there's Janice Joplin over there. Oh my God, there's Jimi Hendrix over there. I'm never going back to Chicago. I'm staying right here. So, so yeah, Maurice was something else. You'll never, you'll never find another one like him. A visionary with the talent and perseverance uh, uh, to bring it to fruition. Uh, a, a real, real genius and a um, trailblazer, I want to say. I don't think anybody pulled off what he did. Can you imagine? We're going to come out of spaceships? <laughs> But also everything I've heard, you know, uh, of those who worked with him, just they say he was just such a, a great, genuine guy, not only a talent, maybe he was a little bit of a taskmaster in the studio, but because he had that vision and knew what things could be. Um, but otherwise, just a great, great guy. Indeed, they told you right. And Bernie said, I was messing up in the studio one day and back to back takes and was missing. He said, Maurice leaned over and said, get your sh together or I'm sending you back to Chicago. <laughs> he said, I hurried up and got my focus back <laughs> and I never lost it anymore. <laughs> wow. Um, I got to see them in 1979 mm. at the LA Forum wow. and uh, I'll never forget that experience. Such a visual extravaganza and the music, of course, speaks for itself. But man, seeing them at their prime like that was just incredible. The show with uh, Earthland in Chicago was Verdine's idea. He and Jason Chef put that, that together. But if you didn't see that show, man, oh man, 20 musicians on stage and they're playing each other's music. They did two tours almost back to back. That's how great it was. Heart and Soul and then Heart and Soul 2.0. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And so great that they're still going too, you know, but right. Philip and, and Ralph and, and Verdeen, just fantastic. Right. Um, so Shelly, I appreciate uh, you spending the time with me and it's been so much fun talking with you. And um, can you let everybody know uh, you, you kind of touched on, you know, some of the things you have in the works, but you know, if you want to kind of put a, um, a cap on that, uh, and, and summarize it and also how can people keep up with what you have going on? Um, I would love for people to uh, follow us on uh, the official Honeycomb Facebook page and um, the Honeycomb, I think, I think we might be official on Instagram. And uh, we do have a website that I'm going to launch later. It's, it's out there, but I've got to add stuff to it, you know, to make it uh, fantastic. Um, and so 
there's that, those two social medias. And um, I think that's about it for now because you can always reach me in the, in the back of Facebook on Messenger and I'll always respond. Um, and, and of course we have a show that we're putting together. So we hope possibly before 2022, uh, to be able to start getting back out there, possibly on next year's Soul Train cruise, if we can pull it together fast enough. So, wow, that's great, and so glad that you know things are going well. And uh, congratulations on your on your new adopted dog. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a joy talking to you, and I hope to have you back again. Hear those other stories. So, thank you, Shelley. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.